0: Well, I thought it would be appropriate this morning to share from God's Word, amen? Um, Because we're talking about God's Word, so I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1, beginning at verse number 1, and when you get there, if you would stand in honor of God's Word, John chapter 1, verse number 1 says this, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that when we come to Scripture that we are reminded that the world around us is in darkness and and does not comprehend who you are. But we pray that, Lord, that through our learning of Scripture and our sharing of it and our living of it, Lord, that the world might understand and, and embrace this very light. We ask, Lord, that you would help us this, this very morning to embrace you as, as this word of God. To help us, Lord, be redeemed and saved from our sins and to, to live a life that shines in a dark place. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. This is a fond passage, and there's way more to unpack here than I'm going to this morning, and there's a lot that I would, that I would hope that you would see with me, but, but right off, off of, of, of go, when John writes his gospel, he launches into this expectation that we understand that God's word has been forever. It was there at the very beginning. So if you're wondering, and, and in a world where authority is challenged and where all manner of things is questionable, God's word has been around Forever. And so there's no reason why when when you look to the scriptures that you should debate or doubt it because it has always been. All these other sets of precepts and rules and things that have been written have come up after the fact. Well, they are countercultural to God's word. So when you open God's word and you read it, it seems a little foreign to you because God's word is countercultural to the world we live in. And so what I challenge you this morning is when you read God's word that you understand that God's Word is countercultural to the world around us, and as a result, we should be countercultural to the world around us, meaning that we should not be conformed to the world, but instead be conformed to God's Word. And that's point number one, by the way, if you're going to take notes this morning, and I know that I'll move a little more rapidly this morning, but I want you to to follow along nonetheless. God's Word is countercultural to the world around us. I hope that that you realize that when you walk into the world... The world will have an expectation of you. You know, it's not uncommon when you walk into a restaurant for them to ask you, and it's something so casual. You go into restaurants, and you're like, I'm here to eat. But then they'll offer you something maybe that God's word might say, hey, you got to be careful with that stuff. I know if you look at me, you're like, "You you probably ought to be careful with those second helpings, right? But I might be talking about any number of things, but you could walk in, and the world will give you an example of something immediately that seems so casual. God's world tells us to be careful with what we do with the substances in the world amen oh man you guys got quiet if you can't say amen okay the scripture teaches us how we ought to behave and it tells us that God's word is authoritative and there are some things that we are doing with our lives or that we're introduced to all the time you watch the television, it's very pretty casual, it just slides in all around us. All the, the subtext and the and the innuendo and all the things that they want us to think is normal that God's word tells us is against his will. And it's everywhere you look. It's in the restaurant, it's on the TV, it's in the music, it's everywhere you look. The problem is is that when we look at it, we realize that this book is countercultural. But it's been around first. And it's going to continue to be around no matter what happens. The problem is, is the world would have you believe that this book has run its course, but I would suggest to you that it has not. You know, I look at all the Bibles that are laid out in front of me, I will tell you the Gideons are, have a special place in my heart because I see them as doing a work. I see them as reaching out to nurses and reaching out to college students and reaching out to, to, to schools. You know, in America, we've changed so many of the rules that it makes it very hard for the Gideons to hand out Bibles in, in local schools. But oftentimes, they'll be very creative. The, the Gideons that I've known throughout my life will sometimes stand across the street from a school to hand out to school-aged kids as they're leaving school because they're not allowed to hand them out on campus. And you hear story after story over the course of my life of people have taken this piece of Scripture, sometimes the small ones which are just New Testaments, which tell about the life of Jesus and what happens to the church after. And what will happen is, is they'll read it, and they'll realize that the world around them is wrecked and a mess, but that God has a plan and that God wants to save them and that God loves them in spite of it. The world will make you work for its love, but it's amazing how when you read God's word, he's worked for your love already. We, we look to the scriptures. It goes on to read, as you read past the, the very initial verses and we see it, we get to verse number six. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. That word might is a powerful word, isn't it? Look to your neighbor and say might. That doesn't mean will, it means maybe. You know, in my house growing up, and we have this joke running now, and I do it to my children now too, and we'll say, we'll see. And what that means is maybe, right? And usually when children hear that, it's a polite way of saying no without saying no, right? I tell this to people frequently, you've probably heard me say it before, but there's a deficiency in the world, it's vitamin N, and people say, I've never seen vitamin N, I think it's because they ran out of things to name vitamins after, but when you get to N, that's vitamin N, no, and there's not enough no in the world, sometimes we need to administer no to a regular basis to our children, ourselves, so there's a vitamin N deficiency in the world, right? Unfortunately, sometimes people administer that vitamin to the wrong thing, sometimes they administer to God and they say no to him when he offers them salvation. This is why the scripture says that they might believe. You might be here today, having not made a decision to follow Jesus yet, and you might be saying to yourself, maybe I'll do it someday. But I would suggest to you that that might exist because some of you will not accept him. Some who have sat here and have done the church dance don't believe and won't believe, and it breaks my heart because people do it in churches all across the land. But the scripture doesn't say that all will believe. It says that the opportunity is for you to believe that you might do it. Don't be here today in a situation where you say to yourself, someday, or soon, or maybe in a couple of weeks, today is the day of salvation, amen? We see the scripture here in front of us, and it tells us that John was to bear witness. And if you're taking notes, we should all bear witness, right? We should bear witness of this word. Everywhere you go, you should bear witness of this word. If you can't do it because of your work setting with your word, you should do it with your life. And if you can't do it, you know, in a way that's visible to others, then you should do it on your knees in prayer before you get to work and through the day where you can talk to God without anybody knowing. You know, they always tell us things like that they've banned prayer in schools. You know what I'll tell you? If somebody can ban my thoughts, we're in a real problem because I can talk to God all the time, whether people are watching me or not watching me, and they don't even know what I'm doing. I'm talking to God. Oftentimes I'll just start talking to God and people might think I'm a little crazy because sometimes it comes out out loud. And my, my wife will tell you one day we're working on a, on a, on a blocked line in, a, in the laundry room and she hits a button on the machine and all of a sudden the water starts backing up and all of a sudden out of my mouth comes, Lord in heaven, Lord in heaven. And she's like laughs at me. She thinks it's the funniest thing she's ever heard and she's right. It she probably looked like the oldest preacher she'd ever seen in her whole life. Here I am not even silver-haired, haired, and I'm talking like I'm from 1935, Lord in heaven. And I'm just crying out to God, stop the water, stop the water, stop the water. And that's what I'm thinking, and people don't know. But and people might think you're crazy. You start talking to God all the time, and you do it often enough, and it starts coming out of your mouth. They'll say, this person's talking insane. But we ought to bear witness. And if you can with your words, do with your words. And if you can't with your words, do with your life. And if you can't with your life, then do with your prayers. You ought to bear witness John came to bear witness. The scripture tells us that not everyone would get it. I I love the scripture because it talks about how the darkness is out there and it doesn't comprehend it. We were talking about it just this morning in Connect Group. Imagine being lost and not even knowing you were lost. The indictment is on us as a church that we have not gone out in search parties to find the lost people who don't even know they're lost. Point number three, not all will receive the word. We get to verse number 10 and it begins to get real personal. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. I love this expression because there's much debate in American culture about our rights and responsibilities. There's much discussion about, about what you have the right to do. You know, I think it's interesting when you, when you study the, the misunderstandings that people think they have rights about. You know, one of the things we talk about when we talk about sending groups of people out of the country to other countries, one of the things I try to train them on is understanding that when you get abroad and you go to another place, you'll no longer be a citizen of the nation you're standing in. So you won't have the same rights that you have when you're here in America. So you shouldn't act all proud about your rights because those rights are back home, they're not here. But I think oftentimes that we forget. We forget what rights we do have here in America. And then I think we also oftentimes forget what rights we have as believers. And one of the most important things that the scripture tells us is that when you believe in Jesus, you have the right to become a child of God. That is something that no one can take from you. A right is an inalienable right, something that you have that is yours. Once you believe in God, that's yours. It's not your parents, and it's not your children, and it's not your siblings. You know, I don't wanna hear about when I visit people about how, and and not to say that I I don't want to discourage you, church. I don't want you to hear me wrongly. I wanna hear stories about your family, and I love your stories about your children and your parents. Don't ever stop sharing this with me. But I don't want you to replace your story with their story. Tell me of your faith. And then tell me of their faith. I think far too many people that I know are clinging to the faith of someone else. Instead of to their own faith in Jesus. And the right to become a child of God. You have a right to be an heir in his kingdom. Not because mama believed it or daddy or grandma or your son or your daughter or your brother, or your sister, but you believed it. You need to believe it. You know, when I, I look upon these Bibles, I, I've heard stories throughout the course of my life, and I hope that you will, you will embrace the work of the Gideons enough to know that there are story after story of people that have come to the, to the hotel, maybe the seedy hot spot in some corner of a community that everybody would think that the only thing that's happening there is, is a wild life, a, a, a sensual and sinful living but then somebody will open the nightstand and find the Bible and in a low point of their moment might read this book and find salvation in it and then they'll write their name in it and the testimony will be that this is the day that I was changed forever because salvation can creep into every corner of the world because that's how powerful God's word is. We talk about God's word in John chapter one here and we see that we get all the way to to the most powerful piece of scripture right here in this opening chapter. It says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then it says, and we beheld his glory. Have you beheld his glory today, church? When we talked about his resurrection last week, that is the beholding of his glory. That is the realization of him in the midst of a world that desperately needs something to believe in. Someone to to fix their eyes upon and chase down and run after The problem is is that the world has given us 100,000 things to look upon and told us that they were all equally important and we've decided to run in every direction and it looks like the Tower of Babel in the world we live in. Instead of us all running mutually to the cross and beyond to the empty tomb and then beyond to heaven with Jesus, we run at everything else. Behold his glory. Run at him. Because it says the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And this glory picture, it is something. When, the, when you study about the glory of God in, in Old Testament classes, they will use this word, the Shekinah glory of God, and they will talk about how that when people in, would encounter the, the presence of God, that his, that, his, that his glory would go before him, it would precede him in such a way that people would recoil and could not face Him, would bow down before him. And as if you were here a couple of weeks ago, on a Wednesday night, you heard me talk about the, the soldiers in the garden. You know what happened to them? When Jesus declared himself as I am, they fell down backwards. You see, the glory of God, when it precedes him, you can bow down before him and worship of him or bow down falling backwards in a position of submission. You will submit yourself. His glory is just this, and we see this picture, and this is Jesus. And as he is glorified, we behold it. And he is the only begotten of the Father. And then it gives us these two things that he's full of. The first is grace, and oh for God's grace that he is full of his grace. This favor of God which you do not deserve. Oh, the grace of God. See, I asked you earlier if you might come to know him and believe him today, and I would suggest that many of you that are on the fence about this or anybody that might be watching this or someone who might even be dialoguing about this, the question you will have within yourself is, I want to believe, but I know what I am. And you will say things like this and you will make declarations about why you cannot or should not. But you neglect that this bit of the word of God which is declared in these passages is full of grace. And that's an invitation to you. To come as you are. To come right to him with everything that you have. All of your mistakes and all of your failures. You see, there is no measure of being cleaned up before you come to him. Doesn't work that way. When it says that he is full of grace, know that it means that he is filled to the brim. There's no room for your doubt when you embrace his grace because you feel the sensation of this invitation overwhelming all of your sins. I love that it says that he's full of grace. It also goes on to say that he's full of truth, full of grace and truth. This is the problem with us, is that we've redefined the word truth. We, we have this thing, and I, and I, I love it when, when great minds like Woody Bauckham talk about the, the postmodern world that we live in, and, and now the post-postmodern world, and I know that's too much to unpack for you this morning, but he talks about how you want an example of truth? You don't have to look any further than the local sports season that's happening right here in your hometown and across the nation. Baseball has got some beautiful pictures of truth in it. But the problem is, is that we, the fans and the players and even the umpires, sometimes have a hard time reconciling the truth with what we think. And we, we, we neglect that Jesus is the truth. You know, so we say, well, what's the illustration then, Brother Ben? It's the strike box. The strike box has a, has, a, has a defined parameter, a top and a side and a bottom. When the pitcher throws the ball, as long as it goes through that box over the plate, it's a strike. The umpire stands behind the plate, and he is watching it, and he's got a trained eye, and sometimes he gets it wrong. Some of these pitchers are real good at painting the corners, right? And sometimes they're just leaning out. And the umpire starts calling them strikes. Before you know it, here comes the the. the the manager off of the bench and onto the field and, hey, man, you gotta start calling the strikes. You need to start calling all the strikes and, and you need to stop calling those strikes those are balls and it's a fight, isn't it? And that's the picture of our world where you got an authoritative voice that's standing behind trying to interpret the truth and they are confused by the line. It's drifting out. But because I've seen it drifting out so long, I start to think that it's in. And God's word is not like this. There's no confusion about the truth. You either believe in Jesus or you do not. You either have him as savior or you do not. You are redeemed or you are not. There is not a picture of doubt in this. There is a picture of a line that has to be obeyed. Point number four, the word is full of truth. You see, regardless of what you think, whether in the batter's box or the manager or the fans in the stand, there's coming a day when that pitch comes across the plate. And if you accept it with the end of your bat, as an appropriate measure of the right action in the midst of truth, that's when you connect. I I just think that when I look at this illustration that I I realize what's happening is, is that we're trying to redefine all these lines so badly. We want to say that a ball is a strike and a strike is a ball and what, what the problem is is if you're, if you're in this world, if you don't recognize that God's word is the, is the measurement for who can and who cannot be saved and you say, well, then who cannot be saved, Brother Ben? It's real simple. If you're in here today and you decide that this was a good talk but you're going to wait till later, then, you, then you're not making a decision to follow Jesus and haven't yet done so, then you're not saved. But if you're here today, And you've not made a decision to follow Jesus, but you're saying today is the day of salvation. This word says that you can be saved right now because of the grace of God, which He has filled up Himself with so much so that you can't bring anything to Him that will embarrass you before Him in a way that He would reject you. You might very well feel shame today, but He will not reject you. Don't be rejected because of your shame. Don't be rejected because the truth here says you can be forgiven. It says that you can be saved. That is the work of this this scripture that's laid out in front of me and the work of the Gideons is to make sure that people know this truth and they are doing it around the world. And you can partner with them. But before you do that, you should make sure you know it for yourself. Amen? We're going to stand and I'm going to invite you to, to, to bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord, we thank you that as we've come to church that we have an opportunity to look to Scripture. Lord, bringing all of our sins to you, knowing that your grace is enough, it's sufficient, it is filled up to the very top of you, and that there's no measure of my shame or my sin that I can't bring to you that you can't overcome with your grace. I ask, Lord, this day, that if there's anyone in here that is on that fence saying, I might do it, or maybe someday, Lord, that they'll change to saying, right now, today, that they will submit themselves to your truth because you have been always the anchor for the entire, uh, entirety of everything. You are the truth. I pray, Lord, that we come to you, that we run to you. We ask for this in Jesus' name, amen.